Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today, we are getting totally pitted with Fussy Deodorant co-founder and CEO, Matt Kennedy. Fussy, which can be found at getfussy.com, is on a mission to banish single-use plastic from your bathroom. With simple, high-quality, and effective personal care products that are backed by science and offered as a subscription to really drive that LTV. Founded in 2020 and launched just this year, Fussy has seen incredible growth from a combination of smart PR hits and well-capitalized on TV appearances that have fueled both their organic and paid efforts. In this episode, we cover why being fussy about personal care products is a good thing, why PR has been Fussy's biggest lever for lowering blended CAC, how Fussy leveraged a spat with Unilever for both short and long-term success, as well as some supply chain learnings that Matt wished he learned a long time ago. Now give yourself a quick pit sniff and let's delve into deodorant today. On with the show. I mean, our first stunt, which wasn't planned, but was when we got told off by Unilever. They were asking us to say sorry for some competitor ads which compared our products to Unilever's, and we got a slap around the wrist. We needed to say sorry, and we thought, right, so how can we say sorry in a way that demonstrates some of our brand values? We're trying to save the planet, but it doesn't mean we can't do it with a bit of a smile on our face. So we decided to make Unilever a peace offering by delivering them a giant olive tree at 8 a.m. one morning with a nice letter written to Alan, who's the CEO of Unilever. And um, the security guards weren't too happy. Grin is the number one influencer marketing software built for e-commerce. Grin puts over 33 million influencers at your fingertips and is the only platform with e-commerce integrations. With affiliate link and discount code generation, campaign workrooms, and the most comprehensive reporting to showcase live ROI, the best D2C brands trust Grin for rapid growth and scale. Go to grin.co today. Welcome to the D2C podcast, Matt. Could we please start with the why of Fussy? Why did you build Fussy? It's quite a simple answer, I guess. It's to save the planet, man. I mean, we've got this amazing planet Earth in all its kind of spine-tingly glory, 4.5 billion years to create it. But unfortunately, a lot less than that it's going to take to destroy it if we carry on. So so that's kind of the big why, I guess. I mean, the actual kind of like how we then ended up at deodorant is, is slightly more convoluted. But but that's why we exist. We're, we're here to banish single-use plastic from, from your bathroom. I love it. Okay, now go that one level deeper because I have an intimate relationship with alternative deodorants. And so I'm interested to hear the origin story of yours. <laughs> yeah, sure. So um, both my co-founder and... I are from advertising backgrounds, so um, we worked for a good part of a decade creating mainly above the line kind of TV adverts and stuff for what has, to, I guess, some of the you know major polluters of the world. So the likes of Unilever, Pantene, Gillette, those kind of brands we were actually working for. So we were kind of experiencing it on day to, a day-to-day basis and, and I guess witnessing firsthand the failure of those brands to address the problems that we were facing. But but they have the ability to, but I guess with big legacy supply chains and stuff like that, it's not easy for them to move. So we were getting frustrated. Um, and then that kind of combined with what was going on in our personal lives, which was both Eddie and I were having babies, not not together, sorry, but like both our wives were having babies and um, they were looking for more natural deodorants, um, ones without aluminium due to breastfeeding and they couldn't find one that worked, that one that kept the stink away. So um it was kind of that kind of perfect storm of 
wanting to do better for the planet combined with a personal situation where, yeah, you know, we couldn't find one that worked and, and for, I guess, for, you know, maybe we can do it better. <laughs> I love it. And it's one of those product categories you think of, like everyone has two armpits. It's quite a broad market with a sort of unlimited potential. So, uh, you know, all my personal story, I have a vendetta against Tom's deodorant just <laughs> because when you put that stuff on, I don't know if it's just my body chemistry or what, but I actually end up smelling far worse than I would if I had put nothing on. And I'm curious, how did you actually go about solving the problem of actually creating a, a deodorant that really works? Yeah, I mean, everyone's armpits, I guess, are like wonderfully different, which makes us uh, all unique and it's great. But you're right, like, it is really hard. I mean, we, I guess we started like every, every entrepreneur out there and, you know, went to Google. <laughs> it's like deodorant manufacturer, UK, click enter. Um, but it took, in the end, I mean, yeah, a lot of Googling, a lot of LinkedIn, and we found a really good cosmetic chemist that we work with. I did actually try and make some in my kitchen because I think it's important, you know, deodorant side, like supply chain, marketing, etc. As a business owner, it's really important to kind of get across and try everything before you get someone else to do it. So based on that philosophy, we did try and make it ourselves, but I ended up actually like burning through a physical pan. So that, that didn't go very well. So then we got a professional, you'll be glad to know. So if you buy Fussy, it's, it's, it's not my formula. Um, and, um, and it was just really trial and error for a good, a good 12 months, I'd say. A lot of brands out there go straight to a, a manufacturer and get white label products and, and kind of slap their logo on it. And that's fine. Um, it's a good way to kind of get out there quickly. But I guess we were already entering a, a market that was fairly competitive. So we took the decision to, you know, let's slow down a little bit, actually, and make sure that when we launch that the deodorant works. So we tested all kinds of different active ingredients and we actually landed upon um, a probiotic. So something you more commonly find in a yogurt than a deodorant. And the effect that has on it, it basically, it's a good bacteria. It basically takes on the bad bacteria that likes to hang out in your armpits and, and neutralizes it so that when, when your sweat react, hits the bacteria, it doesn't, it doesn't smell. So, um, so that's kind of like our not so secret ingredient, but, um, but yeah, so a lot of trial and error, a lot of testing on smelly people, but, but worth it in the end, because we've got a product that, you know, is, 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 is super effective. I also love the form factor of the product, the case, the refillable aspect. Was there a product you were kind of building off of when you built the actual prototype for the for the case and the and the refills, or did you just kind of uh, imagine that with a product designer? Yeah, we, yeah, we imagined it with a product designer. I guess um, I guess again, both Eddie and I, being from design backgrounds, we're particularly kind of fussy. Uh, pardon the pun on on design and and stuff like that, and and certainly like the power of brand. Like again, it's something that we're really focused on. But yeah, we worked with a really good design agency in, in London called Blonde um, who helped us out. And I guess the kind of brief was like, we want to be like the, the apple of deodorants and have this kind of, and they, you know, they presented back this idea, this pebble form that was inspired by a, a pebble you might find on the beach, with it, which then also kind of cues to the natural elements in our deodorant. And we, we just loved it. Um, so, so, so went with that. And, and I guess, again, like I say, we've chosen to, invest heavily into design because I think one of the problems with sustainable products um, that we identified is that they're not always that sexy. Like, um, you know, there's kind of like a, a go-to troop, isn't there, of like 
wallpaper, flowery wallpaper patterns and, you know, a little bit hippies, whereas we were like, you know, less hippie, more hip kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, really leaned into the design like purposefully. And it's very lifestyle. You can just see on, on the, the pictures on your website and stuff, people are pulling it out of their pocket and it doesn't it doesn't look like something that belongs in a, you know, behind a mirrored shelf on a bathroom. It looks like something that we, you would pull out of your purse uh, and, and it just looks really cool. So I imagine that's been a big part of uh, the vision of it. Totally, totally. And I, and I think that was, you know, um, part of it going into it, wasn't it? In terms of like a marketing, you want people to kind of share it, you know, take pictures of it and that kind of organic growth. Um, and, and the design has definitely helped with that. And, you know, winning design awards, getting picked up in in design press, etc. It's super important because there's like hundreds of natural deodorants. Um, and, and I think, you know, Moz from Native himself has, has said before, isn't he like, the what last thing we need is another deodorant. So it's like, you know, how do we make a deodorant that stands out basically and, and, and gets more attention? If anything, we've probably gone too far actually and made a deodorant that is better in, you know, better being carried around in handbag or, or in your bedroom than it is on the, the bathroom shelf because we, we've designed it so that it, do, it doesn't stand up. We like to say it sits like a pebble. Um, so some people are getting a little bit frustrated. That kind of spits opinion, you know, but again, you know, we can't please everyone. And, and I think that's, you know, something we've kind of definitely learned as a brand is, yeah, go with your gut. <laughs> so uh, again, looking at the website, you've built this amazing product. Did, did you then build the brand around it? Like how how the website looks, for instance, was that built after the product or was that kind of done concurrently? Yeah, it was It was really an evolution actually because we, we launched as a Kickstarter project um, last October and then we, we, we did the brand, we came up with the name and stuff, but we did the branding ourselves pretty much uh, between Eddie and I. And that had a little bit more of a homemade feel but we, we, we that was kind of purposeful because we studied a lot of kickstarters all the top ones have an element of kind of like they're a little bit rough around the edges because people want to kind of buy into that that journey so and we also had like no cash to like get a design agency so so the branding back then was a little bit rougher around the edges and actually was also like in the pastel on pastel colors that every brand does and and a bit go to i suppose um and then after kickstarter that went really well thankfully we then had a bit of money in the bank and decided to to kind of like do Fussy 2.0, which which is what you see on the website now and the brand world we've got around that, around that. So we just kind of took things up a notch, played more into kind of like the premiumness of the product, and yeah, that's that's been kind of really really important for us. I love that evolution of the bland, which is, I think, a lot of the way people start with those pastels and there's sort of like a bit of a playbook for how these brands are supposed to look. And then to evolve to that, to what you have now, which is very, it's very stark. It's very, I don't know, I, I want to say it's very British. There's there's something about the, the, the use of the stickers and the really stark imagery. Uh, I find that I've seen a, across a couple of different UK brands, but it's it's very functional and very, very clean. Really impressed with it. Yeah, cheers, cheers. We've we've actually got like we've got flex in our in our brand world. So um kind of at the one end, like you say, is the very clean product world. And then on the other side, we've got like this lifestyle world, which we and, and we're kind of just a, it, there's a bit of flex depending on basically when we see who our audience what resonates more with our audience, because we're still a, a young brand, we can kind of dial up the dial down. So the the stickers have kind of got a nineties aesthetic to them and and the purpose behind those is is historically stickers we use to like spread the word, spread the message. Um, and obviously that's what we're trying to do with Fussy in terms of, you know, sa- saving the planet. So that was the kind of the logic behind the stickers. <laughs> now, Fussy, bring up Fussy again too as a brand. And it's something that really is, as someone who has probably tried, uh, you know, dozens of different organic deodorants, 
uh, and things like this, uh, alternative deodorants. Uh, fussy is such a great word, and but it's very unique because fussy is not a word that is generally thought of as a positive word on its own. Like I think of my daughter being fussy and that's not something I like, but when I tie it to deodorant, it makes perfect sense because it's something that when you catch a whiff of something that's wrong or your deodorant isn't working, you have every right to be fussy about it. Is that sort of the thinking that went into the brand? Yeah, exactly, exactly. We, I mean, we spent... God knows how many like when we again when we first started we were working full time in our jobs so we used to meet up six a.m. down a coffee shop and kind of do a couple of hours on this and then go into work and yeah I mean brainstorming names just took ages and I guess like the go tos are like you know clean cues and natural cues and stuff like that but there's just so many brands out there calling themselves that so again we wanted to kind of lean away into that and. And, and what we found with Fussy was, yeah, it, it kind of divides opinion. So well, it, normally it's a negative, but what, what if we can embrace that? Again, it's just a way of, I suppose, creating a little bit of standout in the market and but also just putting our stake in the ground like and standing for something as a brand. Like when people, when we, when we say we're Fussy, internally we use that, you know, about everything. So, so our, our suppliers, our ingredients, the pixels on an Instagram post, like we're probably too fussy <laughs> about. So it, it was really just like a call to action as well that we wanted to like, you know, make a stand for something and that we are fussy and like you should be fussy as well, actually. And that by being fussy, we can we can create a better planet for everyone. And by being fussy, they're all going to return to your product because if they're fussy about the odor, they're, they're, they're fussy about yours, they're going to be long-term customers as well. So it's all kind of baked into that concept. It's really neat. Cheers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So um, most people get it as well, actually. Like there's a couple of people that are like, what? Um, but, you know, there's like boring companies and, um, and like, you know, there, there are some examples of where negative names have worked. So, um, but yeah, we like it. So thanks. <laughs> we talk about it on the podcast all the time, which is just that that ability, you know, that need to make people make a decision. Right. And if, if it's something they like or they don't like, it's like at least they're making a decision, because if if you're a bland uh, in today's D2C world, it's tougher and tougher to stand out. So I, I think it was a good uh, a good call on your part. Let's move a little bit into the marketing of it. So you've got this product, you've got it tested. Tell me a little bit about your growth and some of the key levers in the early part of, of scaling. And I know you're still pretty early with it. Yeah, exactly. We've, we've probably been going three months with three or four months actually with our kind of full D2C offering um, on, online. I think um, bringing a product to market when we were pitching investors actually way back when they were saying, oh, you know, it's not going to take you six months to get this to market. We we're like, it will, it will. <laughs> 18 months later, we we're like, OK, they're right. But <laughs> um, but what we say marketing. Yeah, I mean, we've had really amazing growth uh, since we since we started. Um, so we've, we've gone from kind of zero to 10,000 UK customers. We've sold over 100,000 deodorants. And I think a lot of that for us, we, I mean, we're still in test and learn phase, right? Um, but a lot of that for us has been PR driven. So we, we, we found this kind of, I guess, you know, doing offline stuff basically, and then bringing it into the online world has been working really well for us. I guess the the hard thing about that is it's a bit hit and miss. You, you, you're not always going to guarantee yourself PR. So, so, so we obviously have to kind of spread our channels. So what, somewhat, but, but that's what's worked really well for us so far. Now talk to me about how you've done that. You say they're, they're, they're hit and miss ones. What, what did your schedule look like? How many press hits have you had in, in this 18 months? Talk to me about the press and then let's talk about how you've used that press in your ads even. Um, in terms of like classical, classic PR, like just getting written about, we've we've been featured everywhere pretty much, um, you know, from Vogue to Daily Mail to, you know, design websites, like I say. Um, and I guess it's just making sure that 
you know, you're giving people something to write about. And again, that, that then goes back to the decisions about the design of the deodorant and the colors and um, the story you can tell and, and, and all of that. But, but then in terms of actual stunts, I guess, I mean, our first stunt, which was kind of like, well, it wasn't, it wasn't planned and, and it wasn't particularly saying we should like be proud of, but it was when we got told off by Unilever <laughs> and, um, and a couple of our internal values, basically. One of our internal values, everything is an opportunity. So we got this this legal letter from Unilever and they were asking us to say sorry for some some competitor ads which compared our products to Unilever's products and, and we got a slap around the wrist. Though the, the click-through rate was great on those ads, unfortunately. I guess that's why everyone does them. Um, but yeah, so they, they sent us a quite a long legal letter asking us to, to, to apologise and take down the ads, which is totally the right thing to do and... And I think coming from advertising background, we kind of hang our heads in shame at, at, at the ads that we ran. We, we've gone from kind of being the guys that are always saying, no, make the logo smaller to now make the logo bigger. But yeah, so we ran these ads. We, we needed to say sorry. And we thought, right, so how can we say sorry in a way that, you know, basically demonstrates some of our brand values um, in terms of everything's an opportunity and and to take what we do seriously, but not ourselves, like, we're trying to save the planet, but it doesn't mean we can't do it with a bit of a smile on our face. So we decided to make Unilever a peace offering by delivering them a giant three and a half meter olive tree as a symbol of peace. And um, yeah, deliver that to their head office in London at, at 8am one morning with a nice letter written to Alan, who is there, who is the CEO of Unilever. And um, the security guards weren't too happy. Um, Alan himself was was quite happy. And we we asked him to look after it and he, he got back to us and said that he was going to, you know, keep it watered and stuff. So, <laughs> so it was really, really good actually in the end. And, what and he that told did, you not to sweat it, I saw. Yeah, that was it. Part. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah. He told <laughs> us not, not to sweat it, which is great. Um, and um, and I guess, yeah, it was it was just great because we got to do a bit of brand marketing, which like startups often don't do, right? It's all performance focused. So it got us, it was an opportunity to do a bit of brand and what we stand for. Um, it did really well on the business side of things in terms of investors saw us. So we got to speak to some investors off the back of it. And then also we, we obviously made a video out of it and we were able to take that video and use that in our advertising and at top of funnel. And it's been, it's been really good there actually in terms of getting people to site. I'm not sure people coming to site knew entirely what they were coming to site for. <laughs> They're like, was it an olive tree or, um, but, but fine, you know, <laughs> It's really great. And it, it has that scrappy D2C attitude. We always sort of say it, move fast, break things, ask for forgiveness rather than permission, yeah, things exactly. like that, that kind of are really exemplified in the D2C world. And, and that's really what you did. And then you're able to spin it. You're, you know, you made these comparisons to Unilever, uh, a competitor I imagine at some point might be interested in buying you, which is great to be on their radar period. And then to fold it all into something where you, they actually are acknowledging you and responding to you. And you're then building that into your campaigns. It's a really great guerrilla tactic for a challenger brand i'm quite impressed with it cheers yeah much appreciated yeah i wonder what happened to the olive tree as well <laughs> he said he'd take care of it he said not to sweat it he'd take care of it yeah uh i have a yeah. friend uh one of, one of my friends is at unilever in the u.s so i'll uh, i'll see if he can uh, do do any oh, digging amazing. elliot if you're listening let's find out what happened to olive tree it was a really nice olive tree yeah because actually um i felt sorry for the delivery driver because we hired a delivery driver to help us and he had no idea and he was Greek Cypriot, so he was like, oh, an olive tree. Man, I love olive trees. 
and then you know after we delivered it he said he said he sat in the van to me after we kind of evaded security and he said that wasn't anything dodgy was it mate i was like no no just just dropping a <laughs> it's fine no. right, so if he's listening i, po- I apologize <laughs> If you're going to release doves into their office, that, you know, that would be a bad gesture of peace. But I think the olive tree is a is a universal, you know, exactly. gesture of goodwill. So I think you're exactly, fine. Exactly. And Unilever, to their credit, actually, um, are doing some really good, good stuff on the sustainability side of things. So um, if they are listening, yeah, you know, hats off. <laughs> Do you view Unilever as your biggest competitor? How do you view the competitive landscape in, at the position the business is in now? Yeah, I think it's, it's getting more and more competitive. Um, at the time we started Fussy, there wasn't a refillable natural deodorant in the UK. There is one now and, and they're doing great guns and they've got a great product and, you know, hats off to them. But, you know, I think it's a growing market. Um, it's something that consumers are, are more aware about. And so I think there's, you know, there's, there's room for a few of us, basically, as long as we've all got, you know, our strengths and weaknesses, I suppose. Um, slightly different from Unilever, I suppose, in terms of like, you know, the Lynxes and the Shores and the, the other kind of supermarket deodorants in that, they're not really a comparable product. Like we do get a lot of people saying, well, I can buy a deodorant for a pound down the supermarket. And it's like, yeah, but you're not really comparing, you know, if you look at the ingredients on, on them both, you know, one's kind of full of chemicals and you need a chemistry degree. And, the, you know, the other one is kind of all natural premium ingredients. So, so the, but there is an education job there to do. Um, and and that, that's probably one of our challenges. Like not only are we a natural deodorant, which we have to educate people about that it works and why it's more expensive, but we're also refillable, um, so that's another element that we then have to to educate people about. So, so yeah, it, it's 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 getting more competitive. But I, I think there's space in the market for for more than one. And and like I say, for, for us, deodorant is just the start. Um, we really want we really want to take on the whole bathroom. So I think that's where the real opportunity lies. Exciting. Your cupboards are overflowing with coffee. You ran out of toilet paper. Your spouse is on you about two credit card charges this month. The truth is, subscriptions are great, until they're not. Reordering can be easy. Just visit getrepeat.io to find out how. I wanted to go back to PR a little bit. You've had multiple hits. You've had press hits. You've had, you know, things in trade papers. You've also had TV spots. And I wanted to ask, like, of these things, which has been, had the biggest impact on growth, actually? Has it, has it been a combination of all of them? Or are there certain things, whether that's TV or print, that have really stood out in their effectiveness? Yeah, sure. For, for us, without doubt, so far, has been organic TV. So in, in the, you know, we got a product onto, like, a daytime TV show. And that, without doubt, has, has been like, so what, so yeah, we were on this daytime TV show in the UK, sales that day were, you know, crazy. I mean, we did like two weeks in an hour and off the back of that, we then took that clip and, you know, subtitled it, et cetera, and put that online and, and that halved our uh, cost of acquisition overnight. So, and that, we managed to get that for a good, like really milk it for a good three or four weeks. So that was definitely that's definitely something we're going to try and do more of is like get on TV, but it's, it's a hard one, isn't it? But it was, um, it was with a celebrity as well. So it was like the dream scenario, really like a celebrity on TV. Which celebrity? Uh, she's called Holly, Holly Willoughby. Okay. She's, um, a, a British TV presenter. Um, to be honest, a bit outside of what we thought our target market was, um, because we're, we're kind of going after, you know, Gen Z millennials, whereas Holly Willoughby, um, maybe is, you know, she's on a daytime TV show when a lot of people are at work. So it's, you know, different type of audience, but, but actually, 
yeah did really well and it'd be interesting to see what the um what the retention's like <laughs> uh, then you're able to use these video assets in facebook ads and instagram ads you, do you basically get the footage after you go on these tv shows do they just sort of provide that gratis well um i wouldn't say they provide it as such but i would say you can get it <laughs> Nice. <laughs> so, so I mean, we we just yeah you know, we just rip the video um, offline yep. um, and then cut it up and um, and then off you go. <laughs> Love it. Forgiveness, not permission, as always. Exactly. We really should have learned, shouldn't we? But but Holly will be fine because um yeah, I actually did. I did. I wrote a Christmas advert once with Holly Willoughby. So if she gets in contact, I'll just I'll just you know I'll just say, oh, do you not remember that advert you did <laughs> ages ago? <laughs> so you've built a subscription product too, which is obviously the the holy grail for a lot of uh, you know. Uh, consumable products. I wanted to ask, how is the retention component going to people who buy these products that have this great form factor that's obviously something they might want to keep around in their house? How is the actual retention aspect of Fussy going? Yeah, really, really good. Um, so we've, against what we're modeling and what we're seeing, we're seeing like we're, we're, we're smashing our targets. So that's really, really good. I think there's a few reasons for that. Um, I think obviously we're at the start of our journey, so as we scale, I'm sure that's going to change, and and, and they'll be, become a become a, a problem or, or something that we need to look at more closely. But at the moment, it's really good, and I think a few reasons where we make it quite easy for people to skip or to push back that delivery. So um, we're using SMS already. There's not many people in the UK using SMS. It's much more widespread in the states, it seems. I think over here, there's a maybe it's just like us Brits, we're just a little bit little bit more nervous or like private i don't know but like a lot of people you speak to are like no i don't want brands messaging me on on, on my phone um and we asked all our friends actually and they were all like yeah no i, I definitely don't want you messaging me on my phone <laughs> so um but then we tested it and we're finding that those that don't want to get messaged just don't like respond and we don't we just don't we, don't, we hardly get any unsubscribes um, but those that do engage with text, like really engage and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe Matt's messaging me on SMS. Like that's crazy. And then you have a really good one-on-one -on -one conversation and yeah, we're finding it great for pushing back, uh, retention in terms of pushing back, but also like gathering reviews, um, and really building that brand. So, and that one-on-one, -on -one, um, relationship. So that's been really good for retention. And then I guess the other thing just goes back to product, right? which is just making sure that the product works. Like if, if the natural deodorant didn't work, our churn would be way higher. So, so nothing groundbreaking, I guess, just like, but that focus on product and customer from the off is like something we've really focused on and, and then driving that through the company. I think if the founders don't feel really passionate about like giving every customer an amazing experience and having an amazing product, then the people like that you employ further down the line won't, won't either. So so that's something we're, we're really fussy about. Um, and yeah, it was one of the first hires we made actually, which was kind of, I guess, I, I don't know, it'd be interesting to know if it is unique, but was on customer service. We decided not to outsource to bring that in-house and yeah, really give everyone the, like an amazing experience. So, so yeah, they're, they're probably like our focuses in terms of retention. I also noticed here that you have a, a Dr. Sweat and you mentioned her earlier in the formulation of the product, but I just wanted to ask about that. I recently interviewed uh, Spotlight Oral, which is uh, an Irish uh, oral care brand, and they really pushed their two founders who are dentists, 
you know, front and center in their TikToks and things like this. And and I was wondering, like, if you're if you're introducing a fairly novel concept, as far as I understand it, which is probiotics in in deodorant. I know I've got a friend who who runs a probiotic company called Biome, and and that's been you, you know having a doctor as the front of those probiotics has been a huge part of of their brand growth. I wanted to ask if you'd experimented with pushing. Uh, your 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 doctor or any of your scientific personas to the front of your marketing or or where people interact with that doctor persona with your brand is that something that you do yeah i mean something we've definitely spoken about and i think it's really interesting um i just love the name dr sweat as well like <laughs> so good um, but um yeah i mean actually we did ask our doctor that like um that formulated if she would you know be part of our kind of advisory board and we could user in marketing material and stuff but she was like no she doesn't even want her name known so like it, it, it's it's kind of adds to the mystique even more like we literally do have someone called dr sweat because we can't say her real name um so, so, so we did try and then yeah i mean it's something we're still looking at we, we use the phrase backed by science not buzzwords um and that seems to resonate really well with our with with consumers because i think it, it does two things right it says you're backed by science and then it also has a go at like buzzwords, which is just everyone in the cosmetic industry is saying they're clean and they're natural and they're environmentally friendly, but they don't always necessarily back it up. So, um, so that kind of phrase for us does does a couple of jobs. But yeah, something we've looked at definitely, and and maybe if we can convince our doctor to reveal her name at some point, we'll be able to do more of it. <laughs> okay, now back back to retention because there's one other aspect I wanted to hit on here. I you know in our pre-interview we talked about one of the other aspects you've tested uh, for retention that was handwritten letters. Can you talk about that situation how that worked? Was it you actually writing them? Yeah, it was. It was. Well, we've we've actually done it twice now. So, because we were a Kickstarter again, it was like we really want to thank our, our original backers because and I I really do respect them because I mean they backed us and it, it was like a year delay and hardly any of them complained and um you know they you know they basically enabled us to kind of like you know change our lives pretty much so we we really owed them one so um and we'd heard stories about other brands that had done it and it, and it gone down well so so yeah eddie and i kind of wrote out um you know over three thousand thank you notes by hand which was quite a few long days and nights but uh, yeah worth it i think and we put a little discount code on there um hard to measure i guess like we some of the discount codes still come through but again, I feel like it's just that brand exp branded experience and, and bringing them into like the fussy family. And then since then, we've done another mail drop. Actually, we're testing at the moment. We, we so we've done a we we took thousand people and we took five hundred five hundred got a handwritten letter and five hundred got an email asking them to subscribe. And, and we're going to see which one which one wins. So um, yeah, experimenting with stuff like that as well. Again, maybe not scalable tactic, but but something that I think early on in your brand story when you want those early engagers and adopters to refer their friends and stuff is, is probably worth doing. Another really interesting thing we looked at, but I, I, don't, I can't remember the name of the company, but someone was doing um, personalized videos, which I thought was really cool. Uh, like you get a personalized thank you video from the founder, but, um, but, but not gone any further with that. But I thought that was really cool. Less hand cramping for all, from all that writing, but you would, <laughs> you know, one of the things we don't talk a lot about, and we did talk on in the pre-interview a little bit about is supply chain. And, uh, you know, having an all natural product that, 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 you know, you've got all these ingredients probably from different sources. I wanted to ask is what do you wish you knew about supply chain uh, a little bit earlier than you did? Oh my God. Supply chain. Like, <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's just my worst nightmare every day. It's so many supply chain issues, but, um, what I wish I knew first, I guess, well, 
everyone kept saying to us like how important supply chain is and we, we kind of like knew it was important but I guess we just we, being marketeers by background and over indexing in that we, we kind of naively thought growth equals marketing right like get a product market it you'll grow amazing um but actually it's like growth equals marketing plus operations um and so i guess there's a few mistakes we made early on i guess we were so focused on our margins because you know investors and everyone kept telling us we need to look at that we, we sometimes took took a cheaper option than we should have so we, we now actually pay more for, for most of our products than, than we did back when we first started to improve the supply chain, improve the, the comms, improve the, t- the, the lead times, just 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 generally more professional um, outfits we're working with. And I, I was going to say, I wish we hired sooner. So we I wish we bought in ahead of ops sooner. But actually, going back to what I was saying earlier, if, if we had bought in ahead of ops sooner, I wouldn't know half the stuff that I know now about operations. So I wouldn't be able to interview them. I wouldn't be able to like tell them what, to, what we need doing. Whereas now um, we've got a brilliant head of ops from a, um, a D2C clothing brand starting uh, literally in a week. You know, I, I know exactly what we wanted to do and exact roadmap. So I'm glad we made, I'm glad we did it and we made some crazy costly mistakes. Like, what, what can I tell you about? We, um, oh, we shipped like £10,000 worth of cardboard boxes and that cost us like more than the boxes. You know, we paid like £15,000 shipping or something. And we were just like, oh my God, what? Um, so, like, so, so many like mistakes um, along the way. We've also, oh, that was quite an exciting day, actually. We, um, we need to move supplier because our current, one of, one of our suppliers was literally filling 30,000 refills by hand. No joke. I was like, wow. I mean, I mean, at least it's handcrafted, but it was literally the MD of the company and he was telling me that he was like, oh, sorry, Matt, I was up I was up till like 10 o'clock last night filling the deodorants by hand. I was like, oh, my God. So it took him about a month to fill these things, um, which added to our delays. So so we were like, right, look, we need to change supplies. So we went to a fully automated place. But then, of course, there's like they're like, well, there's a three month lead time. So we're then facing a, a period of time we've just launched and we've just been told, we're going to basically be out of stock for three months. So, I mean, it would be it'd be biz- game over, right? We'd, we'd just be we'd be dead. So, you know, we we're like, right, what's the problem? They were like, we can't get coconut oil. So, so Eddie and I had to hit the phones, and it was actually the old supplier that that got us out of trouble. Um, managed to help us buy a whole a, a metric ton of coconut oil. So, one Friday, I bought a metric ton of coconut oil, which was, and then we sold that to our new supplier. So we kind of became like material wholesalers at the same time so that that was good you're a magnate um, you're an oil magnate you're an oil man <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah move, moving into oil so yeah if anyone needs any coconut oil hit me up okay <laughs> that's good to know <laughs> nice well that is a uh yeah a really interesting you actually you actually made a little profit on that arbitrage there that's pretty interesting I wanted to ask too, just quickly about your your overall. You, you know, you've got. You, it sounds like you've got a great organic base. You've got. Um, you know, you're 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 using your press hits, your PR in in through your ads in order to 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 drive growth there. Uh, what about retail and Amazon? Where do you see those pieces in your puzzle? Yeah, I, I think we, we we're working on them at the moment. Um, so so really important, I guess. A couple of things is that you know your product. We want to. We're still a few things that we're in, and we're actually bringing out a new case uh, very soon, which is we've made the finish more premium and, and it's just generally a better product. But we want to make sure our deodorant really stands stands up, you know, to the masses. So when you go retail, 
we want the best product possible. So we're waiting and, and kind of using our community to tweak the product and make it as best as we can before we do that. I've heard some horror stories about people that go into retail too early and even just like delivering the goods to the warehouse with the barcode in the wrong place, they get, they get sent back um, and they lose the, and they lose that, they lose that retailer. So I think like don't run before you can walk is, is kind of what we're doing. Um, in fact, that retailer, this is kind of a diversion, but they they ran their goods in, so where they checked the goods in, as a profit center. So, like, if they send goods away, but they still take the money for those goods or something, they, like, they make money from it. I don't know. So they run it like, they run goods in like a business. So I was just like, oh, do you know what? That, that sounds stressful. I don't want to do that yet. So, <laughs> so, so, yeah, we're perfecting our product. And then once that is perfected, um, we are going to go to retail. We've got a couple of retailers actually in the U.S., and UK that we're chatting to at the moment, um, which fit in with our kind of brand and our, our ethos, because that's the other thing. So, so making sure the product's right and that we're ready to go, but then also making sure that the partner's right. I think, you know, they've got to match our sustainability credentials and kind of the way we envision the planet, but also in terms of volumes and stuff like that, I think it's, we don't want to become spread across 300 different retailers, different corner shops and, you know, I think we'd rather focus on like a couple really good key retailers to start with and then grow out from there. Amazon, definitely chatting to those guys. Um, but again, it's just making sure that we align in terms of values and stuff. And then I guess the third part of it is we're a D2C brand, right? And like half of our value, if not more, is owning that uh, brand experience um, data and like one-on-one relationship with the customer. Um, so as soon as we give that up, or if you give that up too early, I think it could be really harmful. So especially when we're kind of still learning about who our customer is, what next products they want to see, stuff like that. And especially when you want to sell them refills and subscriptions. So, so that's a consideration as well. We want to make sure we're, you know, we've got a good base of customers that we can communicate directly with before we go to retail. For retail, is there any issues with the form factor of the product not standing up? Because I just I think of of all deodorants I see in retail environments, and they are all kind of standing up that way. Is that something that you solve with the packaging of the product? Yeah, exactly. So the packaging stands up, but um, but I'll let you know. <laughs> we, we're still yeah, yeah. we're still thinking like, hmm, is a retailer going to have an issue with this? But um, the ones we've spoken to so far haven't. Like they love it. Um, so yeah, it, it, you know, it does stand up in the packaging and, and we are looking at a stand um, for those customers that want it. Like the, the, the dip, we've surveyed our customers, we've asked them um, and the majority don't want us to change it because you would have to make the, the, the base so flat that you it would change the form factor. And a lot of people, you know, that's, that's the reason they bought it. So it's kind of like that, you know, if you try and please everyone, you please no one kind of thing, isn't it? So, um, but I'll let you know. So I'm sure someone will have an issue with it. <laughs> okay. I wanted to ask, this is one of my favorite questions to ask all the time. If we were to give you a 50, 50,000 pound grant right now for the business, where would you put it in? Let's, let's say on the marketing side, on the customer acquisition side, where on the customer acquisition side, would you put that those funds to see the most growth? It's a difficult one. I mean, I like this is a really boring answer, but I would have to obviously do a little bit of a test, I think. Um, so I, I would test some more channels. But I, I think obviously influencer marketing, um, it's, it's not an area that we've done. We, we, we're working on it at the moment. Um, it just takes a bit longer than, than we anticipated, actually. But I definitely think influencer marketing and getting into TikTok. Um, we've got a new head of social joined us last month and she was outraged that we weren't yet on TikTok. Uh, as I'm sure you guys would be outraged too. too. So totally. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so we definitely get in there and, and get in the creator marketplace. Um, but I also think events, I also think we're going to see a, a rise in D2C brands getting out in the real world and doing events, be that trade shows or, you know, act, one-off activations. So yeah, I, I think we'd, we'd, we'd have a look at, we'd probably split the budget, but we'd, yeah, have a look at um, doing some online stuff as well. I like that. I love that idea of people kind of coming together, you know, as the world opens up ideally in the, in the next little while I could see, you know, you guys should, you could, you could sponsor raves, you know, people are packed together and you're questioning how, how much deodorant the person beside you is wearing. It might be a perfect uh, brand activation for fussy. That is so um, <laughs> funny. You said that because I've had a conversation today with someone and um, I wish I could tell you the idea, but I don't want to give it away. So I'm going to, I'll tell you afterwards, but we are we are doing something with the rave with raves, yeah. <laughs> Love to hear it. Wow, uh, that's that's really interesting. Nice. And I and, and I alluded to this earlier when you've gotten on Unilever's radar. You're obviously aware, I would imagine, of native native deodorant story of Moaz Ali uh, and and their massive acquisition by I forget which PNG maybe it was PNG. But I, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the future of Fussy? I know you have plans to you know tackle the whole bathroom, but where where do you think? Uh, what are your thoughts about about acquisition about roll-ups in this space do you want to build the next unilever or or do you think you might be acquired by a company like that yeah i think it's probably likely we'll, we'll get acquired and, and some people have kind of already spoken to us about that but it's, it's a bit too early for us but to be honest like we're also just really focused on just building a, a great brand and a great company it's like brands it's brands that will last you know um so we're really really focused on that and then what will be will be um I think, like you like you say, like P and G, the Unilevers, they've kind of they've got their natural deodorant brands um, to a certain extent. So, I think it'll probably be smaller kind of acquisitions potentially off. You know, there's some companies over in the UK that just acquire um, subscription brands and, and and do that really well within health and beauty. So, I think there's you know smaller acquisitions like that and and also you know potentially like mergers as well like brands coming together um you know maybe that's something that will happen in the future but um acquisition definitely on the radar but like and and i think it needs to be because you have to set the company up in such a way that you're uh, acquirable do you know what i mean like you need to make sure that if i get hit by a bus that the company can go on running otherwise no one's gonna like acquire you so so we've, we've definitely got that in mind but like not to the stage where like we've you know got a target or anything like that no. we're just focused on product and, and brand and luckily those things that you are focused on are the things that are going to make you more acquirable in the long run right the things that you're naturally focused on head down building yeah. a great brand great company that you know removes yourself if needed uh as you mentioned uh, that's exactly what you need to do to build towards acquisition anyway so it sounds like you're aligned and then the last question i have i know you're a, a big fan of, of of some other d2c products out there you've mentioned a few other founders are there any other d2c brands that you'd love to shout out as as uh, companies that you think are doing it great either that you love as a consumer or as a as a founder marketer yeah i mean so many oh god i should know this because i listen to the podcast and you like always ask this question don't you but and then i was like if i ever got the podcast i'd make sure i am. Um, like have my list but i don't have my list <laughs> um, so, um but i guess what i'd say i'm i'm not like mad in love with any of the dtc brands in the uk i've got to be honest like i, I don't think it's something that we generally do that well um compared to kind of the other side of the pond so most of my references are kind of us and canada based i guess so like you know, I love um, house um, poo poo puree. Is it poo puree? Poo puree. Poo puree. Yeah. Yeah. Poo puree. I love. Um, 
obviously like what Judy are doing. So I guess like, yeah, hyper kind of visual um, brands with a strong visual identity like those I'm, I'm, I'm really loving. And, and also I'd probably shout out um, ugly, ugly drinks yep. to be fair. I know, I know, I know a couple of the guys over there and I think their tone of voice, they've got to just got something so unique. Yeah. I think that I'd shout them out as well. I was thinking of Lily Sun, who I had on the podcast, who also, I'm trying to think of, I think it's, I'm trying to remember what her brand is all of a sudden, Four or something. But Four Ships, is it Four Ships? Yeah, that's right, Four Ships. Yeah, 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 Exactly. A big fan of that brand for how they name their products. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on with us today, and I hope that you continue to stay on the radar of the big boys. Keep keep being a bit of a thorn in their side as you scale and 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 potentially push push the whole industry to to care more about saving the world, which is how this world gets better. I think totally. No, thanks so much for having me. It's an, an honor to be on because um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Yeah, let's let's have you back on in a, in a little while, and you can tell us a little more about your uh, your rave idea that that. Uh, is coming to fruition. Uh, it's going to it's going to be ace. It's going to be ace. I'm going to tell I'm going to email you about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks man. Cheers Eric. Ciao. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick and this has been the DTC podcast. We'll see you next time.